Welcome to Sticky Interviews. I'm Nathan Simmons, Senior Leadership Coach and Trainer for MBM, Making Business Matter, the home of Sticky Learning. We are the provider of leadership development and soft skills training to the grocery and manufacturing industry. The idea of these interviews is to share great ideas, great concepts and great ways these skills are being used to help you be the best version of you in the work that you do. Welcome to the show. Sticky interview with me, Nathan Simmons, senior leadership coach and trainer for MBM Making Business Matter. Got the great pleasure of interviewing and having a conversation with Derek Bruce. We've already had one connection conversation and I got to dig into a little bit about his history, his experience. Got a phenomenal buy and I love reading some of this stuff. Background in leadership and people development, consultancy and business communication, which he gets from working with market-leading global organizations in the financial services, media, retail, engineering industries. But not only that, he knows business culture as well as world culture. Born originally UK in Brixton, he's living between Amsterdam and Milan right now, hosting large-scale digital and physical events for industry leading organizations as well as speaking at global seminars and conferences that in itself Derek is pretty phenomenal it's it's I guess some of the life that we all wish and aspire to get to you know being able to do some of that stuff and the best bit about him is this bit I love that and I know this because I feel this in the conversation we had he prides himself on building trust and long-term relationships to help people accomplish their goals and we're going to dig into some more of that later on in this conversation because there's some really critical vital pieces of work that you're you're not you're bringing your attention to which i definitely want you to put the the lens on today and these and it says it is, these are also the principles of his own organization derek bruce associates yeah absolutely 100 percent. derek welcome to here welcome to this show thank you very much for being here cheers for the invite <laughs> Always, first question for me, for anyone that I'm interviewing, why do you do what you do? Um, it's, it's kind of a, a funny story. I kind of fell into it. Um, so years and years and years ago, I was working for Credential and applied for many jobs, got into there and started working, believe it or not, on an IT help desk. Um, I was helping people do a computer thing, turn it off, turn it on again, worked wonders. Um, but I kind of then fell into learning and development because we as a team were helping people with IT systems. And through my career at Prudential and they gave some awesome development, it was a great environment to work in. They really supported their staff. And in my almost 13 years there, I kind of moved from IT into presenting IT, into presenting solutions for sales, and then into learning development and then into leadership development and change. So I do what I do because I like it, but I kind of fell into it. There wasn't a, a plan to get to this point, unfortunately. And that's, for me, that's strange in itself because most people end up going into IT because, okay, there's a stereotype of people that go and work at IT help desks. I, I, I can't get away from that. Uh, and most people go there. And I'm a nerd. I'm a geek. You know, I'm, I'm a, um, a reformed geek. You know, I used to play Dungeons and Dragons, those sorts of things. It tends to be those sort of people that go to work for IT help desk. And it's mm. very rare from my view of the world that you see people coming out of that space to go into more learning and development and people spaces. 
Mm. But the part you highlighted there, which was phenomenal, was it kind of about that prudential creating that right environment for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a company which, if I now look back at where I've worked, and I've worked in some great companies, but it was probably slightly ahead of its time in terms of the, the, the way they cared about staff, inclusion, or making people being able to be the best they can be. They invested, for example, in my CIPD qualification. They paid me to actually be qualified to do learning and development while I was working there. They then helped my career move from learning and development to get experience of doing sales stuff as well, to get experience of doing project management. And this was all part of how almost the DNA of the organization was, which was to get the most out of people by creating the right environment where they could do the best. And quickly we realized that I could tell people to do the IT stuff, but it wasn't really where my skill set was. So that's why I moved into the L&D role. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Because especially when you look at the financial sector, and I don't, I don't know if it's a historic thing or it's a more a recent thing, is a lot of the financial industry is purely about the numbers, mm. not necessarily about the culture. I certainly didn't feel a lot of that when I was in the financial sector. You know, it's about, you know, how many sales, how many numbers, because that's what they're selling in the day, money, which is a number. Whereas yeah. Prudential created this right kind of um, incubator to support understanding actually where your best skills are, where to develop you and how to support you making that journey as well. Yeah, it, it's funny because if I look back at some of the experiences which were provided to me and, and the fact that they really developed people, it was, the development was key. They wanted you to actually be the best you can be, as I mentioned, and the environment, the inclusion piece was really important, but also the engagement of employees was important. So everything from, I worked in 142 Holborn Bars, which is this beautiful whole building in the center of London. Um, and it's one of those places you walk into kind of like the Harry Potter building and you like you feel the history you feel the you know what's happened there before and my first day I remember vividly I was only 18, 19 I was taking a tour around the building and it had like an underground theatre it had a gym it had all this stuff from god knows when when financial services had all been started and on my first Friday a lady came around with a drinks trolley um, with alcohol as well and it was kind of like every floor people could just have a drink Friday afternoon just kind of just stop and talk to your colleagues unwind together and for me as an 18 year old going into organization that environment it was kind of like okay this is kind of surreal but it, it's, it's awesome and it, it kind of gained also because people people who work for Prue we just call it a Prue would also go above and beyond because the environment was so good because you felt you were part of a, a huge team and a huge organization which cared about you. You kind of made sure you did more to make sure we can be successful as well. So yeah, it, it was an amazing experience. And that, uh, it's interesting hearing you say that, you know, like Friday afternoon, everything kind of winds down, people get together and actually have a conversation. And it's not that you're you've wound down and you want to go to the bar and you want to do happy hour just to kind of drink away your problems and your frustrations of the week. Yeah. Actually, you stop and you have a social interaction with people. And, and yeah. I know Holland, or certain areas in, in the Netherlands, when I was living there, they're, they're very kind of big on this kind of a four-day four work week and finishing at a very specific time. You don't take your work home with you. And, and there is a big 
focus on business is going to four day weeks in some places three day weeks because that and we're experiencing this with COVID-19 people are getting more work done because they're at home and they're getting it done in shorter amounts of time they're getting more attention to it um and like you say you're willing to give more because you know when you get to Friday afternoon I've done more work I've, I've contributed I've added value now I can actually have a moment and enjoy this you know the, the social interaction you just yeah. don't have and I think one of the things you just, just reminded me is kind of, it also, it was the first company I've worked for, but it also didn't have the presenteeism mindset. So lots of organizations, and I've got lots of friends across London, Italy, Amsterdam, suffer from organizations which feel people have to be there to make sure they're doing the work. Right. This was back, as I said, in the, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. And still, if the focus was on what you did, what you produced, how you contributed, and it wasn't measured by you being sat on a seat with a screen in front of you doing stuff, it was measured on a contribution to the work, to the experience of our customers, to the project, to the team. And again, that, that environment, that, that kind of mindset, really, really important, I think, in terms of especially in this day and age as well. Amazing. And you're talking about that from kind of 30 years ago. You know, it, it, it's... It, it's <laughs> And there are more organizations now focusing on that. Whether the PRU is doing that now, I have no idea. Uh, you know? <laughs> but, you know, is organizations are moving to that idea. And one of my predictions for the workspace is certain businesses will fail when they continue to mm. go down that, you know, how many hours do you spend at your desk? Yeah. And stop people from home working and bring them into the office to force them to do that. Because actually, those people are only 60 to 70% engaged in their work anyway. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they're only getting, they're only filling potentially five days of work with stuff because actually they're ending up having a negative conversation at the printer or they're going for a cup of coffee or they're doing this or whatever. You know, they're not 100% attentive all the time. Whereas actually they could yeah. be at home and some of them are doing the same amount of work in mm -hmm. three days, getting it done, but actually creating another two days where they can focus on personal development, where they can focus on being with family. And they will be more productive in those three days getting what you say, you know, what needs to be done. Yeah. And I think, I think that, that kind of, that model of having a space to work and actually collaborate and be with your colleagues and, and interact, but also having a space where you can do what you need to do. You could do it from home, you could do it from anywhere because we have laptops, we have Wi-Fi, we're pretty much sorted. And I think that kind of is, is the way forward. Um, I've read, especially over the last couple of weeks with lots of organizations who are now heading to an environment where head office concept is kind of being wiped away. To me, that's kind of one extreme too much. I think we still need a space for people to, to interact, to collaborate, even just to socialize and have that kind of bond because you work for the same company. But definitely a hybrid model where you can benefit from being flexible. You know, everybody who has a child in the last three months may not have liked working from home and homeschooling. It might have been a bit of a nightmare trying to homeschool. But when the kids go back to school, the ability to work from home with the headspace, ah, that will still be appealing. But also then being in the office and seeing your colleagues, that's also appealing. So for me, it's kind of, it's the best of both we need to be moving towards. We need, and exactly that, there needs to be the fit of, and for some people it's great, and for some people it doesn't work. Some people need to be in the office four or five days a week because that's what they need. And some people yeah. don't, but it's like you say, it's on certain projects for certain people. Actually, I would rather be at home this week for four days because I can do this, this, and this, and this. I can get more done. 
yeah and maintaining that results focus rather than the present uh, being present and, and at the desk and, and feeling like you're shackled to that and you're making excuses to go and create spaces and yeah. you pay for results you pay on you pay on a result service i think uh, and again it's another prediction i think certain businesses will also fail when they go down that route oh you can do the same amount of work in three days <laughs> Yeah. Here's an extra two days worth of work. And in fact, here, have some more responsibilities and see how many hats you can switch between that. Yeah. So we can squeeze an extra ounce out of you. And I can foresee certain businesses doing that. And again, that, you know, that will be the number two thing that will cause that engagement to drop and people will go elsewhere looking for that to, to re-equalize that balance in their lives. Yeah. And I mean, I have to agree because I think with the uh, benevolence where we're based as well, it's kind of... It's a model of people being able to work from home very well. They have a great model because, as you mentioned, a four-day week. But there's also a balance between people not having too much, what's the word, or too little of a gap between work and home, an integration between the two, where sometimes it becomes one, which it should never do, and then actually doing too much from home as well. And I think from what I've seen over the last few years, there's, there's always a risk of, taking the stuff home and because you haven't got the, the mechanisms which make you stop work, you just carry on and carry on and carry on. So I think there's also with the work from home, being aware that leaders also kind of need to know how to educate their teams to make sure they know when to stop as well. And also role model when to stop. You know, the whole days of emails at eight o'clock at night or on a Sunday morning, that kind of behavior doesn't also then support working from home or having a hybrid model because it kind of, entices your teams to then go oh okay we've done it i need to respond so there's also that balance as well from a from a well-being perspective i think yeah there's a couple of rows down here one and i didn't twig this i have challenges with the the model of schooling as it is it's mm. a very archaic system it's very slow moving and more often than not it's responding to the external world rather than actually creating the foundation for the the the, the real world yeah and actually you're doing homework you know you we all know that but i didn't twig this the two words mm -hmm. home work oh now yeah. i get what they do all they're doing is kind of they're, they're kind of um part of that indoctrination mm -hmm. process to build you up that oh when you go and do your nine to five fantastic oh by the way there's a little bit extra that you need to do to make sure you're filling your quota yeah but like you say it's that role modeling behaviors you know, we need to go back and shift the behavior in ourselves and stop working from home because that's home. And I'm not saying that the, the, the two things are uniquely separate. You are the same yeah. individual. You are Derek Bruce when you go to work. You are Derek Bruce when you're with your family. It's the same person. There is no divide. Yeah. It's the separation, though, of having time to clear your head, be with family, yeah. be with friends, be creative, do work, whatever that looks like. But not disassociate yourself from your family because we understand that the challenges that go with that just because you're doing some extra hours every night of work to make things what no no yeah um and but leaders feel that when they get to a certain level that the phone has to stay on that they have to be on call all the time it has to look like this and they're being reactive and they're putting out fires and then they wonder why and over the course of time they either burn out or they're just abjectly miserable because yeah. there isn't a switching off point yeah, and, and I remember I had a, a real good conversation with one of my old um, leaders who made a point of, he made a couple of points. One of the points was within his diary, he only schedules three meetings a day maximum. And if there's a fourth meeting, one of the three has to go, or the fourth is goes through the day. So 
to make sure he has a headspace to do some work as well. And that's something which I've, I think the last year I've kind of really taken to. And even with the COVID, it's been a challenge because every meeting is obviously Zoom or Skype or Teams. But I think that kind of behaviour where he was actively saying, as a leader, I make sure I balance what I do so I'm not overwhelmed. So if I'm overwhelmed, I can't perform. If I can't perform, it impacts you as my team, it impacts me as my company, and impacts me as, an, as a human being. So that was a really interesting take on just balancing the work-life balance as well. But the other thing he was saying was he actively tells his team to kind of just be honest and transparent with each other. And when they feel someone's kind of crossed the line, they have a mandate to, to be honest and say, look, are you okay because you should be doing less? Or are you, are you aware that you're kind of putting pressure on us by doing this? And he said, just by giving people the responsibility but autonomy to have that discussion and have like a self-managed team meant that the environment at work and it was better. It felt more balanced. And they didn't then have a concern of the well-being being a big issue. But but it is, he did say, but it was a struggle because it isn't, it's not instinctive to do that kind of behavior. No, and that's the thing is we don't get taught how to do time management or set a diary up. And, and I teach, even on it, and that takes it up another level for me because I know full well that if I've got back-to-back -back meetings, if I'm working in one end of the building and I have to get to the other, well, if my meetings are back-to-back, -back, I'm going to be late anyway. Yeah. Guaranteed, nine times out of ten, that meeting's going to overrun because, you know, people like to chat and da-da-da. So I'm already late, then I'm even later. And you yeah. have no time to decompress before you get to the next meeting. So I tell people to kind of book your meetings at odd times, at, you know, 5-2 mm -hmm. and to finish at 10-2. So you've exactly. got room to play with. Yeah. But at the same time, if you've got seven meetings in your diary, regardless of whether they're 50 minutes or 60 minutes, all you're doing is having meetings and you're not actually getting anything done, yeah. which is why you then end up working from home and then doing all the actions that you need to catch up on because you haven't. Yeah, yeah. I like it, it. It, it, is, it is a modern kind of challenge. Um, and I, I, I must admit, the whole, the whole COVID thing has kind of presented a different challenge in terms of because people were at home, or still are in some cases, and then the assumption is, ah, oh, you're at home, you're not doing anything, so we can have a meeting. And so it's kind of, I think remember for myself, for the first couple of months, it was kind of pushing back saying, yes, we can talk, yes, we can have a meeting, but you do realise I still have the same work I had beforehand, and so do you. So let's make sure we don't have seven meetings because there is no need sometimes. Um, so yeah, it was also that kind of the virtual experience of work in the last few months has also been a challenge in terms of people just working and trying to blend a new working environment as well and how that works with home and other colleagues as well. And as you're saying that, I'm coming up with an idea that it might even exist already that makes mm. your Outlook calendar even more robust. Where it, Rather than just having those slots in to say whether you're out of office or busy, it actually across a network forces people not to book it. So if you try and book a meeting in my diary at a certain time, it just says no. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than you sending it to me and then me having to propose a new time and then you having to go and check it and da da da. No, it just says no. And then you kind well, of. Well, I think I've, I've kind of done that. So I actually just block in time every week across each day, random times. Literally, if anybody sees it, it's kind of like, okay, that two and a half hours lock, I can't do anything. And I must admit, it's kind of after a few months of people going, yeah, but can we still, like, nope, it's kind <laughs> of now. <laughs> it's kind of stuck there. And occasionally, if it's something which is ever so urgent, 
business critical, okay, fine, I can allow that. But again, it's kind of giving yourself permission to do that. Because if I realize, if I look back before I did it, the quality of what I do, the quality of how I interact with my team, my colleagues, our customers, stakeholders, hasn't changed. It just means I can get stuff done, basically, as opposed to doing unbalancing it. Yeah, but it probably means that you give them a better, better quality of experience. Because yeah. you're saying, in this time slot, I'm going to do this. Okay, okay, get my information out, get creative, do my thing. Okay, and I know this is going to happen rather than I'm doing this thing, I'm, I'm, I'm rushing to get this thing done because I know I've got to have this meeting and I haven't got any other time. Actually, yeah. you can be present, you know, in that space. Definitely. Vital. Look like it. Time is flying. Okay, we could do this all day. Yeah. Have a funny <laughs> <Sorry>. thing. <laughs> no, nothing to be sorry about. This is what it's all about. So, look. We've already started covering some of these boxes. I want you to get focused on this, though. You know, in your opinion, when you're looking at work environments, what does a work environment include? Um, for me, I think one of the, an experience I've had, and this is, I don't know if it's, um, because I'm a very visual person as well, but one of the things is it has to kind of feel somewhere where you're inspired to go to. And it may sound really, really, really odd, but everybody has that wake up on a Tuesday morning, it's foggy outside, it's traffic or the metro or the tram is busy or you've got to, whatever. And it's kind of like, I just don't want to go in. Everybody has that every now and again. The environment in terms of physically, before we get into the, the mental piece of it, to me, it has to be kind of inviting. It has to be kind of place where you think, okay, regardless of all this, I want to go in because actually it's a great place to work. It's a physically great place to work. I understand when I walk in, what my organization's about. I see the brand, I see the people, I see the values, I, I can associate with this. So from that perspective, for me, the environment is really important because if we're talking about having a hybrid where people can work from home, it has to be more enticing than working from home, if I'm perfectly honest. If you can think, I can work from home and it's beautiful, but I should go to your office. It has to be more enticing, so from a physical perspective. From a mental perspective, I think it also has to be kind of psychologically safe. It has to be a space where people have the feeling, have the ability to be the best they can be. And that's for people who all understand what the global organization is about. They all understand why their values are important and live their values. And they all have it aligns to kind of their purpose to being. Because if you can rationalize what you do in terms of why you exist and then what that means for you working for that company it then means you're really bought into why you work at that company and that particular job at that time as well. So I think it's kind of people make the environment and working around the right people with the same kind of goals and, and attributes and values and vision. But the physical space has to also be enticing because it's, if you think about, you mentioned family and kids, we spend more time currently, you can think about the non-flexible working in an office than we do at home. You know, we spend more of our thinking time there. And so it has to be a place where it, it works, where people work, where everything just kind of ensures that you can be the best you can be. And also you can come to work being who you are. I think the inclusivity in terms of, if you know, I remember years when I started working, we had the dress codes. It would have been a suit, a shirt, the ties. And over my career, through banks, media, fashion, different industries, it's kind of evolved in terms of what people wear to work. But I remember early on in my career, people thinking, I've got to go and buy a suit because that's how we work here. 
and I don't feel comfortable in a suit, and I don't, you know, and I don't see customers while we're in a suit. And you could see there's like that two, three percent of a person just like, okay, I'm not comfortable. As even simple things like dress codes loosened and people became more comfortable in terms of how they came to work. Obviously not extreme rugby, IT, t-shirts, shorts, flip-flops kind of stuff, but the, you know, the still business professional. You could see some people flourish because they were themselves and they weren't kind of putting on a facade as well. So for me, the environment people work in, the space they work in, the people they work in, has got to be one where it sets people up to be success in the jobs they're doing and the companies they're working with. And I think that's why in terms of retail spaces and design and how organizations have evolved their head offices, that's why that's been such a big investment over the last few years, because people think when they're here, they need to actually want to be here and stay here and enjoy being here to get the best out of it as well. That's a nice take. I like it. I think about the offices I've worked in, you know, it's um, chipboard desks, you know, with the laminate on it. It's the same desk for, you know, for miles and miles. It's the same chairs. There's very little personalization. You go in, you might as well be in a cubicle. There is very little creativity. Now I'm thinking about my office here. I've got stuff up here from my family. I've got kind of inspirational quotes that I've picked up over the years. I've got a cuddly octopus up there from my daughter for father's day you know you can see there's a scorpion that i you know i was given you know, yeah and then, but there's all this stuff going on and i've got okay i've got my crazy messy desk you know but it's big for me to create on which is why it's a bit of a mess that's over there but if you think how many organizations have individuals in organizations have that potential not many and it doesn't matter what department you're in you need to be yeah. creative actually as a leader you need to be creative as a customer service representative you often need to be creative with your solutions and whether you work in commercial marketing it actually you're creating you're and you're everyone we're human beings we're creative beings by nature whether we believe it or not Mm. but actually does your space inspire you to create something better to create a better opportunity to a better experience for someone or are you just going in to be a robot and is that really creating that psychological safety for you? Or are you just turning up and barely being present? And I must admit, there's been a couple of places where I've worked in the last couple of years. So we have an office for Sydney Thigh in Germany, which is they've kind of really tried to make employees feel the brand. So there's actually an office, there's a room which shows all the stuff we do at Sydney Thigh. The same in the UK, it's kind of just really making me feel it. And you can, as you walk in, you can see and feel the difference people feel with regards to the brand. I had the same when I worked at Uaben Amro. They had a concept called Yellow, which involved coffee areas, sofas, um, huge rooms with huge boards, people going around the office on scooters, which was, and Uaben Amro was a bank. And it's like, wow, this is kind of unusual. But again, it kind of, you could see the difference when the space was changed in terms of people's creativity, the enthusiasm and engagement as well. And I remember a friend of mine used to work for Innocence Movies. And one of the things they did around environments was around people didn't have departments. They just plopped people to sit in different places randomly. So everybody kind of knew what happened in the organization. So you didn't have marketing here, sales here, finance here, it was kind of a salesperson, a finance person, a HR person, all sitting together. If you needed a functional department meeting, you then got up and you collaborated. 
but you sat and you positioned and you rotated around the organization so everybody met other parts of the organization so you knew the bigger picture as well. And I think Innocent kind of had a DNA which made it easy. It wouldn't work across all companies. But from an environmental perspective and an engagement, it was interesting to, to hear my friend talk about how cool it was for them as well as at that time. Can I answer there's two ways we're going that one is I've been talking to some of our um, our clients and some of my, my my coaches about this and encouraging them to do that. So even if you're doing it once a month, having a coffee conversation almost with them, what's going on in your sort of business? That way you get to see what their challenges are. You also get to see maybe you have some solutions that you can offer or you can give to them that they can then go and implement themselves. You also find out about potential problems that may be coming downstream to you in the next three, six, nine months, which makes life easier because you're not then being surprised by it because no one likes being surprised. So it's just like that cross fertilization, pollination, cliche business thing, but just speaking to people and connecting. And yeah. then the other side of it, you talk about that creativity and I might say something and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. Mm. So when I lived in Holland, I thought that the, the bank card, the bank security system that they used to use in Holland. So you put your card in, yeah. your chip and pin. Yeah. Mind blowing. This is, this is 2002, 2003. We've just, we've moved there. We've got bank accounts with IBM amazing and then we moved back to the uk and then i think barclays bought into abn or bought abn something like this i think it's bc i think it was a thing at the time yeah, maybe. and then yeah. barclays bank bought over the chip and pin system to the uk and then they started winning awards for these huge innovations in it security i'm just like hold on the, the dutch have been doing this for about <laughs> 10 years so i'm yeah. not surprised you're saying this you know this creativity piece of the mm. game it, that's what it's about. You're, you, if you're creative, you can come up with new ideas before A, your competition, or B, before you make yourself obsolete. You're, you're constantly developing your thinking to do the next thing, you know? Yeah. And I think it, it, it's also mean, and the environment, the question you asked, is also important because if we do, and I, and I think, as you said before, a lot of organizations will kind of move more towards a flexible hybrid model where people can work from home, people can work from office. So the space which will be office-based kind of has to also adapt. It kind of has to, as I said, kind of be branded to make sure you understand this is company ABC, but also allow the innovation creativity to happen and also the cross-fertilization of people when they do meet physically as well. So I think there's also going to be kind of like a tipping point for retail space, especially for offices, in terms of how they look in the next five, ten years as well. Mm. And it might be that, okay, if people, more people are working from home, they're able to get more work done that, and, and in, in a smaller amount of time, that maybe you have one day a month or two day a month where you have kind of these, this hackathon kind of idea where people just get together yeah. and just throw ideas at a wall because yeah. you've got more space to do that in, in, your, in your workspaces. Yeah, yeah. Which would be amazing if you think about it because <laughs> everything else can be done online, which is kind yeah. of the irony. Yeah. Yeah. But then you've got to, it's, it's important that we don't lose, and we're going to talk about healthy work environment, you know, is we don't lose that connection with each other. We, and we purposefully create people to, times and spaces for people to come together to do that. To, you know, to yeah. work on their individual projects, great, but also to collaborate and come up with new ideas and come up with new projects and, and do it on a regular basis to, to keep the thinking developing.
And I think that that's one of the bits of feedback from just colleagues and, and friends in terms of we're now, I think whatever we are now, June, and they said like, you know, I've loved the working from home, but I have missed colleagues. I have missed coffee, I have missed just for lunch. And I don't want to do the whole five day a week because I don't think I need to, but I do also miss that, just the interaction, the camaraderie, the random conversations, the anything at all, because we're human beings. So that inclusivity, peace in the environment is also really important as well. And I think as you're saying that, so looking at, for me, kind of the pessimistic view of office life, because I look at the statistics and I know that the statistics are saying, you know, you know, there's huge swathes of people that aren't happy in their work. There's huge swathes of people that aren't, that don't actually believe in company, their, their company values. And a large yeah. portion of these conversations that people are having when they're in the, the workspace often are negative because they're kind of, they feel trapped in mm. that space and they're doing it. Whereas if you go to this model where people can get their work done get really focused and then come to the office and have productive, wholesome, creative conversations, actually you create a space over here to get work done. And then you create a space over here to have productive, creative conversations. Actually, yeah. you find some of, in my head, some of that negativity starts to disappear because we haven't got time to be negative because we're too busy being creative. Yeah. And the stuff which you've been negative around, you can kind of resolve when you're trying to do stuff because you then just interact with the people you need to, to fix it. And I, and, and I think that's, that's a really valid point. There's, um, there's, a, there's a lot of research which kind of shows as said before, a lot of percentages of people who aren't engaged in the office and percentage of time which isn't spent being productive. And if you can twist it around where it's ultimately going to be, when I am there, I'm going to do something which I want to be doing. It's engaged and it's creative. And again, we are kind of still being aware that there are some roles which have to be office-based, but just some roles which you need to be physically in office because it is what it is. And I think that is what it is as well. But I'm still thinking around the roles where you have that flexibility to do both. Yeah. Mm. But even then, those people that are office-based, potentially because people don't need, you know, 1,600-seat offices anymore, you know, they can start to kind of know, actually, you reduce some of your overheads on a huge building that looks like this, you intensify the, the space that you do need based on your reductions of rents and what you can put into office furnitures and inspiring spaces and, and things that want people to make people... All of a sudden, me being at work is fun because you know you, you channel all of this budget into doing that, and it suddenly becomes interesting. So, yeah, yeah. So, purely from how you see the world, you know, what is a healthy work environment? And we've already started touching. What would you say is a, is a healthy work environment? Um, I think for me, healthy is basically one where people can be honest, one where people feel trusted one where people are transparent and as i said before one we all kind of have the same ultimate goal i think you mentioned there but the discussions negative conversations for me a great work environment is kind of where you have the challenging conversations the courageous conversations because you want to improve stuff you have the ability to have those because you feel safe to do that and have those conversations you have the ability to be open, you have the ability to make mistakes and not feel bad, that's it, I will come out. So a healthy working environment for me is kind of creating a space where that mindset is kind of a baseline because then everything flourishes from that point onwards. And if you haven't got that kind of the trust piece, the, the psychological safe piece, you haven't got the 
transparency or the openness, but also the ability to feel like if you make a mistake, it's one of those things to learn from because we're going to be better and we're all going in the same direction. That's kind of where you then get the unhealthy kind of environments. And I mean, I've been lucky enough not to have worked anywhere near that in terms of my career, but I've spoken to people who kind of dread going into the office or dread going into an environment because they know if they say something, if they do something, if somebody makes this a suggestion, then you've got to agree. And I'm kind of like, oh, wow, that must be awful. And, and you can see the person I'm speaking to kind of like physically talking through it and the body physically going, oh, it's so hard. Um, so for me, it's a lot around putting in place mechanisms where, as I said before, people can be the best, people can perform. And that is also through the people around them having the same kind of minds and what, what that means as well. I love, one of my values is challenge. <clears throat> Everything I do is about challenge. And I've done it all my life, you know, ever since I was, I can remember, it's always been about causing challenge and being challenging. And through coaching and through leadership development training, it enables me to focus that value and that energy in the most productive, positive way possible. Yeah. And to have an environment where it is challenge, not only challenging and courageous, I couldn't think of a better place mm. to work. Uh, mm. Because I, even now, you know, sometimes I have difficulty articulating myself in certain situations because it's, it's frustrating or my mind's gone somewhere. But to have a place where actually I would feel safe just to kind of even rant that out or, you know, kind of thrash an idea around with someone, you know, I would be liberating and I would be able to move through that so much faster in comparison mm -hmm. to previous jobs I've worked in, environments I've worked in. I could move through that quicker and actually come out with some ideas and solutions on the other side, which are beneficial to me and the business as a whole, rather than me just sitting yeah. there frustrated. I can't say anything because I will be deemed as the problem child. And if I'm the yeah. problem child, you know, it, and again, it's, yeah. yeah. You know, you're sitting there kind of trying to keep quiet and you you feel like the problem uh, and you can't come up with a solution because you're too busy feeling like, you know, you can't feel both of those things at the same time anymore. So, yeah, yeah, I like that idea. I like that idea a lot. Mm. I think I might have, if, you know, if I end up with my own office from my own business one day, this will be the environment <laughs> I'm building. So, <laughs> so what do, how do you create that sort of space? Mm. Um, well, for me, I mean, in my role would signify... It's, it's specifically around the leaders and the development of our leaders and kind of having first and foremost a DNA which comes from our values. And the values are applicable to everybody, but it kind of gives us a baseline which says, if you work with us, these are the kind of things we expect. And, and they're, they're not you know, groundbreaking, it's kind of just common decency, really great basic kind of human value type stuff we want to do. But it's also having leaders who encourage that who support that and the development we do for our leaders definitely focuses not as much on the strategic on the, the blue on the process kpi driven stuff because our people come in with a lot of that stuff anyway and we can support them it's very much around how our leaders support the people to as i said back to credential to be the best they can be focusing on you know being authentic focusing on having the right kind of emotional intelligence focusing on being able to have those open conversations and even simple things like as a leader being able to say look you know i don't know but 
I've got a great team around me, what do you guys think? And that, even that kind of transparency and that openness kind of then radiates environments where people think, okay, well, if they say they're not quite sure, but they tap into us, if we don't know, it's okay. And we can make sure we find that as a team as well. So there's elements around that which help us within, particularly at least, create the right kind of space. And it's also around identifying and, and recognizing when people do the right things. I think we as human beings are very good to kind of, I've been to a really bad restaurant. It was awful, 50 people know. I went to an awesome restaurant, maybe three or four people know. So it's kind of also twisting that round to say, you know, when also we have people who do live with values, leaders who do the right things, people who make sure the environment is the best it can be because we've kind of given the tools, the skills, the support makers to do that. Let's also recognize it, let's praise it, let's reinforce it so it keeps on happening as opposed to like assuming it, assuming that it's going to happen and taking it for granted because it still needs to be worked at. It doesn't, it doesn't happen on its own. It still needs people to come in to do this, the right kind of things. So for me, it's, it's giving the leaders capabilities to lead. It's giving people understanding what the expectations are and the ability to be themselves. But it's also around kind of saying it, making it obvious. Because again, a lot of the things around how you work, what you do, what we do as an organization, aren't that explicit. So you kind of you join and it's kind of like, okay, well I've read some values, I've done a bit of onboarding, I think this is what we do, off I go. As opposed to, okay, this is the kind of things we really want you to do, what we think is important to us, how we want to support you if you're not quite there to get there. Imagine those conversations. But even, yeah. Uh, and for me, even if it was looking at your personal development, and this is the way I see it, looking at your own personal development mm -hmm. plan, here's the core five values or expectations of the business. Okay, great. I know mm -hmm. what they are. I know what that looks like. There's almost like a, um, like a bars process where you kind of, this is, you know, mm -hmm. you one, two, three, four, five, and you kind of, you're, you, you know what's going Here's my role as a leader. This is what's expected of me. It's not of, like we know with many managers and leaders is great you're good at this here have a job as a leader we'll see you in 12 months time for your end of year appraisal let's know how you get on no it is like this is the expectation of your role you need to be doing this you need to be doing this you need to be doing this these are the people that are going to help you do that and this is how we're going to remove the obstacles but then also having sight of where you want to get to as a leader or where you want to get to inside the business and having a second block of skills, knowledges, and things you want to be focusing on, which are, so you're doing all three of those things. You know, you're not losing sight of what the company, the expectation of what you're contributing. You're not losing sight of who you are in your role. And you're also not losing sight of where you're going to get to inside that role or as, a, as part of your future progression as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for us, just, just to have it, it's kind of where I've worked in, in most of the companies have also kind of had like, like the moonshot kind of leadership principles or competencies, which kind of also like, you know, if you had a persona or the ideal person, these are the five, six, five or six things you'd actually want them to be doing every single day with descriptions of how you can get it and what we kind of do. And we've realized having that also just helps people go, oh, okay, yeah, this is where I can improve. Because if we don't give people kind of a direction, if you think of you going from point A to point B, if there's no point B, then how do you know you're going to get a point B? So for us, it's also for the principles, but also the fact that they're, they're also aspirational to a point. 
because they need to be something which we need to keep aiming towards as well. Otherwise, you think, oh, I can do that now, I'm done. <laughs> I think there's two elements in that. One is you need to know where you are in relation to the top of the mountain, because if you don't know yeah. where you're going, what are you actually climbing? Is it your mountain? Um, and where are you when the fog comes down? Where are you in relation to that? Do I know which way I'm going when the cloud lines come down and I've got no idea what's going on? Yeah. The other side of that is leadership isn't a one size fits all. So you could, like you say, you have these aspirational role models, you know, maybe four or five different people. I'm going to get a bit of that. I'm going to get a bit of that. I'm going to get a bit of that. And I'm going to then wrap that up in a version that is Derek Bruce. And away you go. But you're still moving in the right direction for the business based on values and behaviors, etc. Yeah. For you and your experiences, then, why is this important to you? Um, I think it's, it's important for three reasons. I think the whole the whole environment, inclusion, leadership, people being at work, it's important because one, it's where you spend a bucket load of your time. It's kind of where you're going to be or you're going to be focused on for a lot of time. And you only have one life. So for me, it's kind of make the best of it. And if I can make sure that somebody in the organization I working comes in and has the most engaged time they can have while in the workplace. And I remember before I answer the second point, there was um, a great lady from Adidas made a point, which was a question which was, if you asked anybody where's the best place you've ever worked, they don't always say where you're currently working. And she was saying what you'd want is people to say Adidas. And I'm thinking that's a great kind of thing. It's kind of like, I want people who come to work where I work to say, okay, where's the best place you work? Actually, where I am now? Because it's bloody awesome. Mm. So I think the engagement thing, I think, is really important in terms of making sure people, because we're doing a lot of it as well. I think the other thing is kind of people need to have a purpose. And if you have a purpose which is aligned to a great place to work, it, it kind of makes everything also valuable from their perspective as well. And I think for me, the third thing from just a personal perspective, I love what I do. It's kind of, I love the whole leadership stuff. I love working with people, developing people, seeing people move from A to B. And being able to help create that kind of space where they're successful, they're engaged, they're happy, they enjoy what they do. They want to come back on a crappy Tuesday when it's foggy and it's raining and nothing's working. But that's also the third reason, I would say. And for me purpose is, is, a, is a huge thing i've done huge amounts of research into purpose and i understand as a 42 year old man how important it is and it's not the word that uh, many people use especially younger generation um, mm. everybody has a purpose whether yeah. you realize it or not you have a very specific reason for existing for being on this planet it's, 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 a, it's a biological thing you know it's inbuilt into your mm. dna what I find, though, and what I have found is a lot of people aren't able to express their purpose or, or are using their work to express their purpose. And they feel, because they can't express that, um, there's almost this divide between them and their work. And yeah. as a result of that unreleased potential, that unreleased expression, actually, that's where the things like mental health come in, where you're talking about anxiety and depression, you know, because I can't be me. Now, I have yeah. to put this lid on what I'm bringing to it in case someone else thinks wrong of me, in case I do challenge yeah. the status quo. Um, I can't be courageous. So I bottle all this emotion up and I don't know what to do with it. And eventually that stuff just eats me from the inside out. Yeah. And actually, it's about creating a psychologically safe environment where someone can go, this is what I'm bringing to this company based on who I am. And yeah. it's not that they should be separate. It's that those two things should actually run concurrently. Yeah. 
concurrently, I think that's the right way, yeah. you know, is, is parallel. Aligned, yeah. Yeah, completely aligned. Where I'm going gets me here, and it means that the business gets here as, as the same result. And at some point, maybe we divide because you know we, we outgrow each other at some point. That's also okay. Yeah. Rather yeah. than thinking there is a massive divider, I can't be me in order to make sure I fit in. And actually, we know we're worried about whether you're meeting the grade and because you're going through yearly assessments or all day. Yeah. But like you say, it's having that purpose, knowing who what your purpose is, knowing the, the best possible place to express that purpose. And it might be where you are in your life, whatever. It might be that you're the cleaner. It might be that you're serving burgers. It might be, you know, working in LD. Whatever it is that allows you to express you at the highest possible level in the best possible way, yeah. do that. Yeah. Uh, and enjoy it. Crikey. Ah. It makes, it makes me yeah. angry because there's so few people talking about it. You know, like, <laughs> oh. um, What's next on your agenda? Because we've talked about environments, we've talked about inclusion, we've talked about psychological safety and creating work environments. What is next on your agenda for your work? Um, if I think from a work perspective, it's making sure the leaders kind of embed it from a, from a signified perspective. So we, we're still doing, as I said, all the stuff you just said, making sure that happens every single day. So we, we grow as an organization. From a Derek Bruce Associates perspective, which is my kind of my other day job, it's very much around raising or continuing to raise the importance of a balance between race in organizations. It's very much around making sure we learn a lot of what's happened over the last few weeks in the US and in the UK. We bring in opportunities for black leaders, black professionals. What I want to do for my own company is create an informal free networking mechanism where black professionals can finally find out, how do I do this? How do I get into this? Because I had that as a, as a young black professional from a great mentor, but I see there's a huge gap where other black professionals can't kind of make that step up as well. So for me, it's kind of just really pushing that agenda, asking the difficult questions in terms of why is it such a difficult question? Um, and then, yeah, and just, just pushing for this whole equality piece as well. Mm. So what's your plan in that space? Then? What does that look like for the future? Um, I think one of the things is, as I said, the mentoring network. And, and the great thing is I did an amazing um, article on LinkedIn and got some great kind of feedback. And some great people have actually reached out and said, can we help do this? So that's one of the things for the rest of June was basically just to set up that mentoring network properly engage the mentors make sure mentees know they can access this for free as well so it's kind of it's not a paid thing it's kind of want to make sure people support it but also then sharing my voice within different organizations and saying you know this is why are we not considering for example why do we not have a, a black board anywhere a completely board for black professionals and if we did why would it feel strange to see and yet every board we go into is kind of a whiteboard with a sprinkling of colour. So it's kind of, for me, it's looking like also continuing to help educate my colleagues and professionals in the industry who aren't aware of some of the challenges which black professionals have. Um, looking at also opportunities for supporting black professionals, as I said, not just mentoring, but also, you know, recruitment when it comes to that, development when it comes to that, understanding also the challenges around mental health and black professionals as well because there's a lot of stuff where you mentioned not having a purpose not being yourself but where as a professional who's a black person 
there's lots of things you kind of maybe not say because the environment isn't your environment. It's kind of environment where you think, oh, should I be saying that? Should I highlight that? Should I let it go? So it's very much also just kind of bringing these things to the fore through articles, through conversations, through seminars, through the website, through speaking to people. So we can move this kind of, this, this topic forward. Because I think, I think now is kind of a tipping point to move it forward as well. Mm. I think it's a huge point. It's, it's understanding, it's learning that communication piece because of, and you like to say, what's been happening over the last few weeks, this has been an intensification. And I talked mm. about that before, that intensity of proximity actually certain things are coming to the forefront people's mental health is coming to the yeah. forefront why because they've got nowhere to hide certain conversations are coming to the forefront because you know everything's being pushed in front of us at certain points yeah and the stigmatization and the stereotyping etc that's gone on with the systemic racism that is prevalent in multiple western cultures and in, in, mm-hmm. in all over the place you know i think from a mental health point of view I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I don't say anything because I'll be seen as a problem. When actually mm-hmm. you can multiply that um, into certain environments for young black professionals, actually yeah. because they're looked at for just being black, because they are being stereotyped, because there is um, uh, even you know, a black on black crime, there is this, that and the other. We've mm-hmm. talked about that before. So I've got mm. even more worry. I've got even more pressure where I just yeah. want to be me and say what I need to be said. But if I say it, will that be deemed as, you know, oh, there's mm. so-and-so type person with so-and-so type skin colour. With an agenda, for example. With an yeah. agenda. Oh, you, yeah. whatever. And it almost doesn't matter if it's black, Asian, Indian, um, gay, whatever. You know, it's that having that additional mental health challenge of I cannot say what I want to say for fear that it will be stigmatized or labeled accordingly. And then going into that mentoring piece and actually just teaching people how to communicate, to remove their own labels, to, or not even their own labels, to remove the labels that they think someone else thinks they've put on them, to take them off, to express themselves clearly, articulately, professionally. And to be able to move that conversation forward and just remove the, 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 the I had this talk to me a, a few years ago, you know, labels are velcroed, not super glued. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But we stigmatize and, and ourselves I, based on history or other, whatever, when we all know it's BS. Yeah, and it's funny because I mean, there's, there's something I, I posted an amazing, I think it was like a three, four minute clip from Muhammad Ali, um, which was Why Is Everything White? And it's from 1971, and he was being interviewed by Michael Parkinson. But it was kind of just, he's, he's beautifully articulate. He's kind of, you know, the most amazing speaker. Um, but it was kind of just talking about the language we use and how that kind of sticks. And I think if I now go to 2020, there's language we use in an organization, there's kind of mindsets, there's, there's perceptions. And I think for me, being able to push against that and have the conversations is important. And I think one of the phrases you used was black on black crime, which has kind of been prevalent since I was a teenager. And one of the things I've read recently was kind of, why is there not like a white on white crime report then? Why is it only black on black? Why is it not white on white? And it's kind of like- Or even white yeah, on black, it, it, you know, it's just like- <laughs> Yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of, it's one of those, again, it's, it's creating this kind of whatever, I don't even know what the word is, but image which is negative, which doesn't even actually, when you think about it, make any kind of sense. 
So I think for me, you know, when you say what's next, it is very much, I am in a kind of a good position where I'm a very senior person in a great organization with a great network, with a great ability to have a voice. And I want to use it. I want to make sure that in, you know, five, 10, 15 years, there's a succession of other great black professionals who've been able to actually do things without some of the crap. And I'll, and I'll say crap, me and other colleagues who are, or, or network of black professionals have gone through as well. Because some of the time you think, how much talent hasn't got to somewhere purely because they're the wrong colour? How much could an organisation, if you want to be really black and white, how much could they have made if they brought in this person? Yep. You know, how much different innovation would we have had if we had a better mix? So it's, it's kind of just trying to push those barriers over as well. It only takes one person to cure cancer. Yeah. It only takes one person to solve, you know, world poverty, whatever it is. And actually, um, where is that thinking? Where is that person? Where is that intelligence lying? And actually, if you go into an organisation or a group or a, an, an ethnic group or whatever it is, and repress them in such a way, you're, you're failing to tap into that level of intelligence. It's like computers. You know, if you want a, you know, I've got my computer here and it's running a certain amount of, you know, if you put three of them together, that processing speed suddenly jumps up. And sometimes it doesn't just jump up by the number of laptops you get. It goes exponentially because it makes it easier. Yeah. But if you've got a group of, you know, uh, individuals that are enthusiastic, determined, you know, to, to make a difference, then the world becomes a better place. Yeah. It makes me emotional when I think about that. You know, if you just, well, if, <laughs> it, it is, but it's true though. If you just even, you know, I get, I've sat in offices and I've looked around and I've seen all these people that aren't engaged, that are frustrated, you know, feeling anxious or feeling depressed or whatever. I just think, what if we could mobilize just 10 of them? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and all of a sudden the world changes just by one degree. But yeah. we all know what happens if you change course by one degree over a long distance. The world becomes yeah. phenomenal. Um, and for me, it's kind of making that ripple. I think, yeah, I think for me, the next step is making that ripple into a wave as well. Yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm there. Look, look, where can people find you? I'm going to find the link for this article. I'm going to put that in the, in the show notes as well. Um, yeah. Where can people find you to start and, and continue this conversation? Obviously on LinkedIn under Derek Bruce, there's Derek Bruce Associates, which is my personal website, so you can reach out via there as well. Um, and all my details on Twitter as well. So I think it's Del Bruce, Instagram, basically all the social platforms you want to join. But yeah, but Instagram, LinkedIn is probably the easiest place to reach out. And I promise I will respond to every single contact. Amazing. Look, if people were not paying attention to where this man's thinking is, you need to hit rewind, go back, get your pen and paper on, and you need to be taking notes. And I don't, I, I have no false expectation that your paper will catch fire from some of the nuggets of wisdom from the speed that you'll be taking these notes. Please go and find Derek. Please have a conversation. Please, if you are a young black professional in support and in need of guidance or that extra foot up that ladder, speak to Derek Bruce. Yeah, now. Definitely now. Right, done. Derek, thank you. I love you. I love what you're doing. I'm so very appreciative. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much for being on this sticky interview. And I look forward to sharing the next one with you all soon. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Firstly, massive thank you from the MBM team for tuning in to this sticky interview. If you haven't already done so, now is the time to click subscribe and stay up to date with our new training videos and great interviews. And secondly, 
If you want to learn more about the skills we've been talking about in this episode, click the link and take a look at the MBM Virtual Classrooms. They're there to help you be the best version of you in the work that you do. Until next time, see you soon.